multiply it, God, that we would see it multiplied to reach your kingdom, Father. I thank you for all you're doing, God, and all you're going to continue to do. In your name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and check out this video. Welcome to Church of Briargate. We are so excited that you are here. If this is your first time with us, please fill out a connect card found in the back of the seat and put it in the offering plate or put it in the basket outside of the church office. Here are some events coming up. Our movement youth group will be having their New Year's Eve lock-in this Tuesday night at 7.30 at the church. The cost is $30 and it covers whirlyball, pizza, snacks, and unlimited Nerf bullets for the Nerf War. Please contact Pastor Josh or Liz for more information. There will be no Wednesday night service on New Year's Day. Enjoy this time with your family, friends, and have a happy new year. The Royal Rangers will have their lock-in on January 10th at the Garden Ranch YMCA. They will meet at the YMCA at 8 p.m. The cost is $15 and includes all activities, pizza, and snacks. Please contact Pastor Krista, our children's pastor, for more information. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions about church at Briargate, please email office at cabag.org. Also, check out our website, churchatbriargate.org, for more information about our events, ministries, and our life groups. And stay connected with us on social media. Have a great week. Well, good morning. So I was, I was thinking about that, um, you, the, the lock-in for the youth, and then the kids are going to have one. How, how many of you would, th- would say, that's exciting, I would love to do something like that? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Those two. That's why they're youth sponsors. <laughs> they're, there's their problem. <laughs> so I was a youth pastor for a few, quite a few years, seven or eight years, something like that. And I loved those when I was a youth pastor. I loved them. I lived for them. I don't want to do anything near that now. So, uh, everybody have a good Christmas? How many of you got everything that you wanted? I most definitely did. I got to spend the entire week with my granddaughter. And we had a good time. We had a great time. Every morning, we'd get up because everybody else was sleepyheads, and she's not. So... Every morning we'd get up and we'd go for a walk and look at all the birds and, um, and pick sticks up and hit things with them. I mean, we had, we had an amazing time. But we did, so, so many of you have already been asking me about this. Uh, yes, my second son did get engaged um, during Christmas. So we went to Silver Dollar City because we were in Missouri and nothing else is pretty around there. So we went to, uh, to no, it was nice. We went to Silver Dollar City, but she didn't know. Everybody else knew. People around here knew. Everybody, we'd been planning this. We'd been working it. We, all this kind of stuff, and uh, she didn't know. But, um, but I, I think Linda put it on our Facebook or her Facebook or something, a little video of it if you want to go see that. So we came up with a picture that kind of lets you know kind of where everybody in the Bottoms family is. Right? It's like the state of the Bottoms picture. Uh, so I wanted to show that to you. <laughs> okay, so this was Emily's idea, in case you think we're picking on Emily. Okay. <laughs> it's just Emily. <laughs> All right, so um, we had a good time. It was really nice. Sometimes you, you need a break. You, you don't realize you need a break. Those are good times when you need a break and you don't realize you need a break. The times when you know you need a break, it's probably not going to be long enough, whatever it is, right? You know what I'm talking about? Um, we needed a break. 
Uh, I knew I needed a break. <laughs> I needed one. But it was just, uh, it was a nice time. So I hope all of you had just a good Christmas. I hope all that stuff. I, this is obviously the last, um, the last message of 2019. Uh, 2020 is next week. Um, is anybody else kind of weirded by that a little bit? This is 2020. So, so my daughter was saying something about that on our horribly long drive uh, to Missouri. We were talking about that, and she said, Dad, it's going to be 2020. I said, I know, this is, this is weird. So I'm trying to help her see. I, I remember all my life thinking as a kid, thinking to myself, the year 2000, I'm going to turn 30 in the year 2000. And there's going to be flying cars, and there's going to be all kinds of stuff. And she sat there and she said, you're turning 50 this year. Thank you, Emily, for helping me remember that. Um, you know, time just keeps moving. 2020, who, I mean, that's a long time in the future, right? Don't they make futuristic movies about 2020? Stuff like that. So, so just thinking about this, there's, you, you realize from January 31st, I mean, December 31st to January 1, you're not a different person, right? You know that? Have you ever thought about that before? Um, who was it? I think um, Asher and Amanda's little girl, Abby, was saying the other day that she turned five, but she's still going to act like a four-year-old. And I thought, oh, probably so. Uh, I, I'm turning 50, and I'm still going to act like a four-year-old. So, the, you know, there's this, there's this thing we do that we have milestones and, and, and moments along the way where we, where we define things. In fact, I've, I've kind of picked on this a little bit with Christianity, that I think we do this sometimes with our Christian walk, we do this to a, to a negative. Not, not always, sometimes positive, and I'm, I'm going to try to take us down that road this morning, but, but sometimes we do it to a negative, to where we say things like, well, this is the day I got saved, which is a true statement. There is a moment in time, you don't just, you don't just become more saved. There's a moment in time, there's a second in time when you accept Jesus as your Savior and you submit yourself to Him, and He becomes God over your life and forgives your sins, that is a specific moment in time. That's not a, that's not a gradual transition, which, which to me is a, a struggle that we have in the church a little bit right now. That we don't really get this, I'm going to repent and I'm going to be saved. I'm, I'm going to repent and turn to Jesus. We, don't, we just kind of make it like, a, like a, a metamorphosis over slow time, that kind of thing. It's not. But even though that there is those moments, I think if we're not careful, we can so demarcate those that those become defining things that we don't actually um, progress past. There, well, I got saved, okay? When was that? That was a year ago. That was five years ago, ten years ago. When you've been saved for five years, you need to act like you've been saved for five years. Because if you're not acting, if your actions aren't making it happen... Then, then you're not growing, you're not doing, there's not change, there's not something else going on. Have you been saved 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? You need to act like it. God expects more from you as a mature Christian than he does as an immature Christian. You've been saved 30 years, you better be acting like it. I, I know I, I know I've picked on some of that stuff before, but, but guys, as, as mature Christians, we don't have the liberty or the luxury to act like little babies. If you're a mature Christian, act like it. If you're a brand new Christian, you're going to get some grace and mercy along the way. And if you're a mature Christian, you're going to be giving that grace and, and, um, and, and mercy to the brand new Christians. If you're not giving grace and mercy to brand new Christians, you're not a mature older Christian, you're just old. Right? 
And so we need to, we need to make sure that we understand that, that there are moments in time, but there's also a growth. There's also developmental mentalities. There's, there's I'm going to move forward. I'm going to do some things, and I'm not going to act like I used to act. I'm not going to be who I used to be. Why? Because I'm making decisions, making choices. And so I, I think this is, a, this is a, a, the best time in our uh, traveling around the sun life that, that this happens is every year we have this New Year's kind of thing, and it's a great moment to make some decisions. Now, next week I'm going to talk about kind of where, where we're going, and then the next few weeks after that I'm going to be looking at, I'm going to show you some things about missions and stuff like that. But, but um, next week I'm going to be talking about direction of where we're going. But I, I want us this week to really look backwards a little bit and say, okay, here, here's some things. Here's some things that, that uh, we're good, we're bad, need to be different, some, that kind of thinking. Natural transition, a natural, natural pause moment in life called New Year's that, that we actually get to think about some things. We actually get to process some stuff and say what happened, what didn't happen, how can we do some things differently, those kind of things. Um, I want to go to 1 Kings chapter 15, and there is, a, um, <clears throat> there is uh, there's, there's something that I, my dad used to say this statement all my life, and I don't necessarily agree with it in a spiritual level, but I think the idea behind it is pretty solid. Um, he would always say to me, specifically me, but he would say to me, do something even if it's wrong. Just do something, right? There's a good mentality behind that. Do something. Don't, don't just be. Don't just, don't just waste your life. Don't just waste your time and your energies or, or uh, your resources or whatever. Don't just be. Do something with your existence. 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 8. This is an interesting part of a little scripture. In fact, if you go, if you go here to first, um, if you go to here first Kings, and there's about three chapters right here that are all about kings. And um, now obviously kings is about kings. But but these three chapters, what I mean by it's about kings is it just tells you kind of the next guy after the next guy after the next guy. It just goes down through the line and says, this is a king, and he didn't do good, and this king, he didn't do good. And then there's only two or three kings in this entire list that, that actually served God and, and did some, some, some solid, pleasing things to God, for God, with his life, those kind of things. But, it, but it's also interesting. If you go down through the scripture and you look at it, here's something you might want to process too, is many of these kings... It would say, uh, just a few of them did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but then it would say this little statement that, that it gets me. Every time it says it, it gets me. Because it says, but they didn't tear down the high places. Okay? What, what that means, the high places is where they would go up into the mountains, and they would, um, they would build these shrines, these temples, these worshiping places, and, and uh, they weren't to God. They were to other gods. Uh, gods and those kind of things. In fact, when I was in Israel, this is one of these moments when it caught me and it seemed to catch me differently than everybody else. We're just we're walking through the through like the the trees and taking a little hike journey kind of thing. You're looking at stuff along the way and and we're we're going to actually go up on the um, the edge of the Golan Heights and you're going to look down. You're going to look out over Syria and all this kind of stuff and and that was really cool when we got there. And so everybody was just thinking we're getting there, but we passed this little this little place and it's like a little temple about a the whole thing is about the size of this middle section of seats, and and um, and it and it and it was talking about all the different temples and places that had been, and they had they had excavated all this, and they'd gone down, and they'd found all these different layers of uh, this was this was what Scripture says is a high place. 
That's what that little, this little place was there. And it, and it caught me because that's always been a, a thing for me in Scripture is the high places. The good kings, even though they served God, they didn't tear down the high places. In other words, they didn't eradicate all the junk out. They just did the best they could to serve God, but they didn't root out the, 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 the spiritual stuff going on in the hearts and the minds of the people and saying, this is not okay anymore. Okay? God's really been working on me with this in a lot of different ways. As I come into this next year, what are some high places in my existence in my life that he wants to do away with? Not that I'm not, that I'm not serving God. I think if, if we read this, I think if my name was in Scripture somewhere, God would say what he's about to say about Asa here, that he, that he did what was pleasing in God's sight. I'm not trying to say that arrogantly. I know, I know I serve God, okay? But are there high places that I need to deal with? Are there some things that I need to let the Holy Spirit be in charge of that he's not, or maybe just, just excavate them, tear them out, tear them down. This high place that we went to had excavated down, and they had found Jewish um, uh, altar sites. They went down a little bit further, and they found um, pagan worship stuff. They'd gone down a little bit further, and they found uh, Hebrew worship stuff. Went down a little bit farther and found pagan worship. So you, you see that they did this layers and layers and layers. Nobody ever got rid of. They just kind of put on top. They just kind of built on top. Instead of tearing it out from the roots, digging, the, digging a hole in this mountain and tearing all that stuff out. And then if you want to put a worshiping place there to God, do it. But don't just build it on top of something else. Look, look at this. When Abijam died, he was buried in the city of King David. Then his son Asa became the next king. Asa began to rule over Judah in the 20th year of Jeroboam's reign in Israel. He reigned in Jerusalem 41 years. His grandmother was Makah, the granddaughter of Absalom. Asa did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight as his ancestor David had done. There's another king that's mentioned in this list, and it says he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, but not as his uh, as his ancestor David has done. I don't have time to unpack all that, but just go and read it because doing what was pleasing in God's sight as David had done was interesting that it would be verbalized that way. And then another one was said, no, he didn't. He pleased God, but not like David did. Well, it's, it's easy to get to the root of that quickly. How did David please God? It says he was a, he was a man after God's heart. That's how he pleased God. Because even in this list of, if you go and read it, even this list of kings, it talks about how, it even talks about David a couple of times, and it says David did what was pleasing in God's sight, even though he did, and it lists all the things he did that was horrible. I, I, I've never done the things that David did. I, I've, never, I've never had an affair with a woman. I've never murdered her husband over it. Okay, that's not in my list. But I do wonder, in my list, is is it a man after God's heart? Because that's what defined David. And that's why God said that David was his guy. Because his heart was after God. Even though he did horrible things, his heart was after God. That's what defined him. That's what made him God's guy. So if God's writing this list right now, and he's going down through, let's just say for some reason he wanted to write a church at Briargate list. And he's just going down the, the line. And so he starts at the first seat here because 
Jason's lucky. So he, he gets to Jason and he says, Jason, what would he write after that? Goes next to Dale, because women aren't the same. So he goes to next to Dale. <laughs> and he, I, had a, I had a friend of mine text me a couple days ago. He said, is Emily still at Southwestern? I said, yeah, this guy lives in Texas. And he said, is, is she going to get a man while she's there? And I said, well, I think that's why she's there. And he says, well, we know women can't be in ministry. I said, exactly. So she has to be there to get a man. So um, we were joking. We were joking. So then on, next on the list, he goes, Dale, what, what's he going to write? This, this is the thing I want you to think to yourself. What's he going to write after your name? What's he going to write after your name? Okay, just so we don't get confused. I believe women can be in ministry. Okay, just let's. That was a joke. So what's he going to write after your name? What's he going to put there? Is, is he going to write that you did pleasing in his sight? What was pleasing in his sight? Is he going to have a qualifier to it? This is what gets me is the qualifier. It's not the, that I, I, I do pleasing in God's sight. I really, I really do believe God would write that about me. And hopefully I'm, hopefully I'm not being arrogant about that. I don't think I am. I think he would write after my name, and, and Scott did what was pleasing in my sight. But I don't want him to have the qualifier, and that's, the, that's where I'm stuck. Is would he say, but he didn't tear down the high places? Right? Let, let, me, let me put that, let me use different words there so that, so that you can feel as bad as I do. Would he say, Scott did what was pleasing in my sight, Except when it came to language in movies, it didn't seem to bother him. Right? Shall I continue? Shall I make a list for all of us? I mean, think about what I'm saying. Are there certain things that we're just okay with? That we're just okay with? That doesn't seem to matter? Um, we, we were doing this on our, our trip to Missouri. We... My kids got, 10 years ago, I don't remember when, they got all these little flashcard questions, like trivia questions, but it's all about um, 80s music, because <laughs> that's when I was in high school. So they want to see if I know stuff. So they would ask the questions, know all the stuff, and then we started listening to some of the music and songs, and, we had, and, and it was amazing to me, because I haven't heard a lot of this stuff in years, it was amazing to me how bad some of this stuff is. Anybody else ever experienced that? You ever remember a movie and then you go back and watch it years later and you're like, I watched this? I've told people how great this movie was and I watched this? Right? Thinking about, thinking about the stuff that we just allow into our lives and it doesn't seem to matter to us. It doesn't seem to matter that Jesus would not be a part of that. He doesn't like it. It's not pleasing to him. It's, this, it's disgusting to him. But we're just, we just don't tear down the high places. It just doesn't matter to us. Is there a little qualifier after, the, after your name? Is what, what is after your name? You, you, you figure that out. You, you, I, there's no way I would ever know that about you, but you figure it out. Psalms chapter 19, verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. What does your heart meditate on? What is, what is, just think over the last week or two. What, 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 are you, what have you been thinking about? What have you been processing, meditating, really thinking about? Is it, is it pleasing to God? Is it not pleasing to God? The words of your mouth. Christmas can be a great time to test that, right? Is everything you said this week been pleasing to God? Not pleasing to God? What did that, what did that look like? What did that feel like? What, did, what are the moments? Um, maybe something that you didn't necessarily say out loud, but it was going on in here. You get together with a lot of friends or family or stuff like that, that stuff... It can test you in, in, in your spirit, in your heart. And so asking the question, the, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, God. Because why? The Lord is my rock and he's my redeemer. So if he's redeeming me, if, if he was willing to give his life and his blood to redeem me, then am I, am I letting my heart and my mouth be pleasing to him? Think of, think of the, this is big. This is, this is one of those things where peer pressure, when I was a youth pastor years ago, I, I would talk to teenagers about peer pressure all the time. And, and if I was going to be speaking like a youth convention or something like that, I would, I would probably address peer pressure somewhere along the line because peer pressure is huge. It's always been huge with teenagers. It's never going to go away. It's always been big. The subjects are changing uh, over time. They change. Um, we were talking about this the other day. Uh, with, with, um, with all of our uh, 20-somethings group, we were talking about this a little bit. The peer pressure has changed a lot. Back in my day in high school, you had to actually pursue the girls. In fact, I heard a, a, I heard a great um, interview the, by the, with, the, with the Hoover Institute. If you don't know what the Hoover Institute is, you need to look that up, and you need to look at their interviews that they do there. They're, they're very solid. They're long. But they're, they're very solid. One of them was this lady named Heather McDonald this last uh, couple weeks. And she was talking about a book that she wrote. One of the things she talks about is peer pressure, specifically at the college level. And she said, and, and this is, so I'm going to take a, just a few little tiny things out of this. But, her, but she talked a lot about it. If you're a parent, I would suggest, of, of specifically teenage kids, I would suggest you listen to her interview. But she talks about that one of the things that's happened, she said, back in the 80s, She's about my age. She said, back in the 80s, we had uh, boys knew that the default answer for, from girls sexually was no. The default answer was no, and the boy had to really pursue and connive or lie or manipulate or whatever he had to do to convince her to change her answer from no to anything else. But the default was no. She said the problem that we're having, why suicide rates are up and all kinds of crazy stuff, specifically on the college campuses, is because the default answer for girls is no longer no. To the point where guys don't even try anymore. Relationally, at all. And so I'm asking our 20-somethings, I asked my son, my daughter, all these kids, I said, okay, let me ask you, what, what do you think about this? And my son said, 
Guys don't have to do anything nowadays. They don't have to try. They don't have to be chivalrous. They don't have to do anything. If they want to have sex, they can go have sex with just about anybody they want to. They don't have to try. So therefore, they don't try at all. They don't have to woo a woman. They don't have to pursue her. They don't have to do anything. And the women are saying, I want to feel special. Now, I know this is not what you're allowed to say in today's society. So, quote me later to hurt me. Okay, I know you're not allowed to say this. But girls, if you want to feel special, stop acting like something that's not special. And you might get treated special. And I'm trying to say this without using a lot of slang words here. But if you don't want to be treated like trash... Don't just sleep around with everybody. Don't just, whatever. Act beautiful. Act special. And, and I've, I've had this conversation with girls and teenage and 20-somethings. And they're like, well, we shouldn't have to act anyway to be treated that way. You're going to be treated like you act. What do you mean you don't have to? Keep running with that philosophy. It's working well. You understand what I'm saying? What, what about our thoughts? What about our attitudes? Are we, are we pleasing God? Is it peer pressure? See, this is something that I found. Peer pressure is a whole lot worse in adults than it is in teenagers and college students. But the difference is, is as adults, it's all culturally kind of appropriated. What do I mean by that? Peer pressure nowadays in adults. I, I know I mentioned some of this stuff last week, but it's crazy how a, a a God-pleasing, morally sound, conservative adult in our country today is embarrassed to say it. We're embarrassed to say it because we're going to get accused of being some kind of homophobic or bigot or something. But I remember 20 years ago, people were using this word, oh, are they a fundamentalist? Is that a bad word? You ought to, I'm not even going to tell you. Look up that word. Look up what it means. Does that make you bad? I believe in the Bible. Well, that makes you bad. It's peer pressure. But see, here's the thing. At the end of the day, this is the question I would have. Who do you want to please? Let me read it one more time. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, because you're my rock and my redeemer. Nobody else is. Are we trying to please Jesus or are we trying to please anything else, anybody else? Is the, do we understand that he's my rock and my redeemer and so my words are going to be pleasing to him or am I, are we more concerned with my words be pleasing to somebody else? What I meditate on, what's in my heart, am I more concerned that it's pleasing to God or is it, or is it important to me that it be pleasing to somebody else? To somebody else. Psalms 104, verse 34. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in the Lord. There are certain things that I do and certain um, people I listen to, like radio. I, I, I know that anytime I say this, some people think this is the most horrible thing. I listen to Rush Limbaugh. I listen to him as often as I possibly can. Because I think he is one of the smartest people that God's ever put on this earth. One of the wisest people. One of the most caring people. Now, if you don't listen to him, you don't know that. If you listen to everybody else, you don't know that. But if you listen to him, and I've been listening to him almost every single day of my life since 1991. 
I stumbled across him, didn't know who he was. I thought, who is this loudmouth? And then I began to listen, and I realized that he, that man is a, is a deep thinker, and he's a God-fearing, I don't know how to use the word Christian, I don't know about that, but he's a God-fearing person that cares about people in our country. If you don't listen to him, you don't know that. You don't know that. Society says a lot of junk about him that's not true. But you don't know that. Because why? Peer pressure. Peer pressure in today's society can tell you a lot of things about a lot of people. I mentioned this last week about Trump's tweets. Here's something that I have found interesting. Because I actually ask the questions. When somebody says, well, I don't like him, you know, I wish he would tweet less. I ask him, tell me a tweet, just off the top of your head, since this is obviously a concern of yours. Tell me a tweet you don't like. In the last week, two weeks, month, six months, just quote one for me. Because obviously this is a sticking point for you. Since it's a sticking point for you, you've got some ready to go. What are the ones that you don't like? Ask somebody that next time they say that. You know what they're going to say? Well, I don't actually know. That's called peer pressure. Peer pressure. Here's some things that I found about Jesus. There's a lot of stuff Jesus says. There's a lot of things the world says he says. Great little song that we sing, Good, Good Father. That, that It says in the song that other people say things about you. Talking about God. Other people say things about you. But I know who you are. Do you? Let me, let me get that in. Do we really know who he is? How are you going to know that? How are you going to know who Jesus is unless you figure it out? You can't let your grandma tell you who he is and you live on that. You can't let your Sunday school teacher tell you who he is and you live on that. You've got to know who he is. You've got to know. These these moments in time, and many of you have given me different testimonies about this, that moment when you realized who he was. We were talking about that with our kids and some of the things they've gone through over the years, difficult stuff. And, and even though it was, it, was, it was hurting me at the time, when we were driving back from Missouri, I was processing this in a time in Isaac's life when he was not doing good. And he, wasn't, he didn't have money. He didn't have food. He, all this kind of stuff. He's all the way in Texas, but I couldn't help him. I couldn't on a bunch of reasons. Emotionally, spiritually, I wanted to. I'm not saying I was, you know, I wanted to, but he wouldn't let us know. We found this out later. And, and I know he was going through some difficulty, so I, I sent him this song. I was processing, and we were talking about the family. And we were talking about the fact that, that he learned life lessons there that he will never forget, ever. Weren't fun, weren't, wasn't the best way to learn them. You can learn, other, you can learn them other ways, <laughs> okay? But he learned life lessons. Every one of us here, we have those, don't we? Where we learned learn the difficult way. We learn truth. We learn reality. We learn, and, and I, would, I would hope and assume that every one of us in here, we have learned that Jesus really is our rock and our redeemer. He really is. That's not something we're making on. That's not something we're hoping. I, I hope and believe and pray. In fact, I pray about this regularly. I, I pray that you don't just come to church because it's a church. I hope you go to, to come to this place because we're meeting with other people to meet with God. I, 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 I pray that. Don't ever, don't ever just go to church. Now, 
let me, let me throw a disclaimer so this is important. Because sometimes people say, so if I don't feel like it, I shouldn't go? That's a bad idea. Because Satan will make sure you don't feel like it. Plus, and, and some of you parents, specifically younger kids up to teenage years, if your kids say, well, I don't feel like going, so what? You make them go, why? Here's a crazy one. You're the one in charge. You're the parent. They're not the parent. I, I, I had this question answered. I think it was 20 years ago. I was sitting in church, and there was this 16-year-old girl sitting on the back, and, and we were talking about parenting, all this kind of stuff, and, and I said, why do we not let um, 15, 16-year-old kids make all their own decisions? And most of the adults in the room said, because they're not mature enough. They just don't know it yet, but they're not mature enough to make that. They can make some decisions, but they're not mature enough yet. And as adults that have been 16, 18, 20, 25, 28, 38, we understand. Right? We know. This girl at the back says, I think that's the problem with parents, is you don't understand that we do know. Every parent in there was like, Point proved. Right? So here's, here's where I want to go with this. Here's the question that I want to ask. With this transition, natural transition at the end of the year, do some stuff. You've got a, you got a week before the end of the year, you got, well, a few days before the end of the year. You've got some time to think and process. This would be a good contemplative, um, introspective, depending on your personality, maybe make a list, maybe do some things. But, but here, here's something. What would I change? about me right now? What would I change? I'm not asking you to help me with this. I'll, I'll make my own list. <clears throat> You're like, I got a list. Hold on. <laughs> I keep it in my phone. I'll just text it to you. Uh, what would you change about you? Have you even thought about that? Status quo is destructive, guys. It is destructive. Assuming that you're good, it, it proves you're not. Are you pushing forward? Are you changing? Are you doing some things? Are, what, where are you now? Where do you want to be? And by the way, this, you can apply this in almost any area of life. Uh, business, finances, physical health, anything. What are you doing to make things better? What are you doing to change? What are you doing to move forward? God did not design us to be stagnant. I, I was thinking about this just a couple of weeks ago because I was having a conversation with a guy who was telling me some things about his life. And um, it dawned on me, God did not design grown men to sit in chairs all day long. You get hemorrhoids. There, write that down. That's profound right there. He, he didn't design us to be sedentary. He designed us to be moving and doing and going. And, and just something simple like exercising gets chemicals moving in your body that you need moving in your body. Just simple things like that. Your joints need you to be exercising. Lots of stuff. I could go all day with this. But, but let me ask you, what, what do you think needs to change? What, what needs to stop today? There's, there's something in your life, maybe, maybe a handful of things in your life need to stop now, today. Stop. What is it? What are they? Stop these things. You know what they are. Make a decision. Make a decision today that you're going to stop this stuff today. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying sin stuff, but obviously if it's sin, yes, it's on the list of stop it. Okay? 
But I'm saying some things that you just know, you know what, this is not good, it's not healthy, it's not, whatever. I'm going to stop it today. What about something you need to start right now? You need to start doing this. But, um, Bob and I were talking before service, and he's been wanting an um, audio Bible. And Lynn and I have helped a handful of people, I don't know why, but just in the last two or three weeks, do this. Have an a audio Bible that will read to you, read the Bible to you, right? You understand the U version that we use here in church for our services has that. You can go and in any translation you want, you can read it out loud. It will read it out loud to you, and you can set timers on it. 20-minute timer, an hour timer, two-hour timer. Just push the, 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 play, the timer, push play, and it'll start reading the Bible out loud to you. Well, if, you're, if you don't like to read, have somebody else read it. You just listen. If you say, well, I don't like to read or listen or talk or look or, or breathe, well, then you, maybe you've got some issues. But, but have somebody else read it to you. Have them read it. Whatever version you want. What, what needs to start today? You say, well, I, I like to read. Then read it. Read the Bible. Get in there and read it. Whatever, whatever you need to do, it, what needs to start today? <clears throat> one of the things that I've always processed my own life is I, I don't want a lazy life. Now, I, I get lazy. I get lazy about things. I have seasons where I go through laziness, and I don't want to do things. And, I, and usually it has to do, I, I didn't realize this until about 15 years ago. This is greatly driven by my emotional and spiritual state. You understand what I'm saying? When somebody really hurts me, I get lazy for a while. You ever experienced that? And you're just like, I'm not going to try. I'm just not going to try. I've done that in marriage. Where Linda will do something, just, just attacks my sensibilities. Just horribly abuses me, emotionally, spiritually, I don't know. So what do I do? I just shut down. Anybody else ever done that? Don't look at me like you're, no, just you, Pastor. You do the same thing. Like the very, next, the very next week, Tuesday morning, I will walk right by the trash. The woman ain't going to make me take it out. I will walk right by the trash, look right at it. She's not even, she's not even there. She's not, but you know what? I know about an hour later she's going to come walking out of the house and get in her car and see that trash laying there. Guess what? Gotcha. I won. Right? Some of you are like, oh, he's a horrible person. <laughs> you, you're the same way. You may just do it differently. You're the same way. Right? We, we, we do this kind of stuff. We, we do these things. What needs to change? What needs to be different about us? Don't, don't do nothing. That's solid grammar, but it, but it works for us, right? Don't do nothing. You get one shot at this life. God has given you a life. He's given you a wonderful opportunity. It doesn't matter how long or short or, or, or whether you have all the things you need. or what. Those are all details that are irrelevant that we'll figure it out when we get to eternity. But this we do know. You get a life. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to spend it for God? Are you going to pour it out, as Paul says, to God? What are you going to do with this life? I, I always think of this a few years ago. Anthony, um, Anthony and Mary were our children's pastors. Anthony's electrician. He was in some house. They'd called him this rental house to go do some electrical stuff. 
He said he walks in, and there's this guy, he said he's probably 26, 27 years old, sitting there on the couch, smoking pot, playing video games. And he said he stopped for a minute and just looked at the guy and thought, that's what you're doing with the one shot you got. You got one shot at life. That's what you're doing. As we have an opportunity to do some, some amazing things, to do some cool stuff, do some, some big stuff. I, I was thinking about this. A, a few years ago, this, this moment happened. It, it, it didn't involve anybody around here in the church or whatever. That, I'm, not, I'm saying that so you don't try to read into anything here. I was having a conversation with somebody that I was, I was in an authority position over um, because of some other things that I do. I, I sit on about, well, not now. I've slowly kind of worked my way out of a bunch of them. But I sat on about six boards, seven boards at one time. So I was in charge of different things, people, situations, circumstances. And I asked this person, we had looked at a whole year, calendar year worth of stuff we were trying to get done. And, um, and I said to, to one of these people, uh, here's, here's a handful of mistakes that were made this year. Let's try to fix those this next year so that we can get to where we're trying to get to. And the person said, oh, I think we're right where God wants us. Well, I wouldn't necessarily argue with that totally. I did some, and I mentioned that. But I wasn't totally against that statement. But I said, yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about where we are and what God has done. God doesn't make mistakes. We're talking about you. You make mistakes. What are the mistakes you made, and I'd already listed them, what are the mistakes that you made that could be done differently? And they said, I don't think I made any mistakes this year. So, just so we could be clear, I said, you went an entire year without making one mistake. Yes. So, because I like to make sure that we're all clear, I said, you're saying you went in an entire year without making one mistake. Yes. Now, I had already listed all the mistakes they had made. The whole group, the whole leadership board saw those lists and agreed with them. And I said, just to be clear, you're saying you went an entire year without making one mistake. Yes. Guys, not only is that extremely arrogant, that's dangerous ground. I would ask this of everybody in this room. Have you gone the entire month of December without making a mistake? Think about what I'm saying. You probably didn't even go since last Sunday without making a handful of pretty key mistakes. Right? The idea that we would be so arrogant to say, I have not made any mistakes. Guys, don't ever, don't ever get to that place. That is, that is arrogance first. It's spiritual arrogance and is extremely dangerous, girl. Because that kind of heart 
God can't change. He can't use. It's not until you say, I have made some mistakes. Then God can begin to change your heart and he'll begin to use you. But he can't use you if you're, if, you're, if you're laboring under the false assumption that you're perfect. We can't do that. What do you need to change from this last year? You've got some things you need to change right now. What needs to change? Think about it. 1 John chapter 2, verse 24. So you must remain faithful to what you have been taught from the beginning. Scripture, what God has told you, what God has showed you. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. Now here's an important sentence, because I always try to touch on this, because it has been so prevalent in the church for so many, for a couple hundred years, since John Calvin created all of his stuff called Calvinism. We've had this belief system that no matter what you do, you, you're, you're going to go to heaven. As long as you prayed a prayer one time, you're going to go to heaven. It doesn't matter what your heart is. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter whether you're sinning or not. It doesn't matter whether you love Jesus or hate Jesus or whatever. You're going to go to heaven no matter what. It's called unconditional eternal security. And I think it's probably the worst theology this, the church has ever come up with. It's one of the most dangerous. Now, I know why John Calvin came up with it at the time. It actually made sense at the time. He was trying to tell people that, that the church does not determine whether you're saved or not. You determine that. But he just made it all based upon one moment instead of your life, your existence, your heart, okay? But he says, you must remain faithful. If you do, you will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. What is that sentence telling us? That there is a possibility that you will not remain in fellowship. This, this whole little chapter wouldn't even need to be here if, if no matter what you did, you were going to go to heaven. If, if you were going to go to heaven regardless, just because you prayed a prayer one time, he didn't even need to say this stuff. John is wasting words, wasting our time and wasting space in the Bible. If, this, if the opposite of this wasn't true, why would he even say it? He says, you must remain faithful if you do. You will remain in fellowship with the Son and with the Father. And in this fellowship, we enjoy the eternal life He promised us. Now, the, the balance of that is I, I don't walk around scared to death that I'm going to go to hell if I die today. I believe in eternal security. I just don't believe it's unconditional. I'm eternally secure in the Lord. Why? Because I, my heart is after Him. As long as your heart is after the Lord... You can make mistakes along the way. Repentance is important, understand. But, but as long as your heart is fashioned after the Lord, then, then grace will cover multitude of sins. Grace will carry you. Grace will cover you. I, I grew up where if you, if you, you know, the, 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 the thing I heard so often was, if you hit your thumb with a hammer and you're cursed, you're going to go to hell right then. Right? Now, there's a good argument that says, if you hit your thumb with a hammer and you curse, apparently cursing was in your heart. There's a scripture that says that too, right? Right? If you're cursing, guess what's in your heart? Curse. That's, I don't know how to say that, right? If you, if, you've got, if you say perverted things, guess what's in your heart? Perversion. But I also believe that you can be chasing after God and make mistakes. That's different. He says, I want you to remain faithful. I want you, because you do have eternal life. It has been promised to you. Stay in that. There's security in that. You don't have to be scared of that. 
that you're going to go into hell instantaneously or whatever. Another one I heard when I was growing up is you better not be sitting in the movies when Jesus comes back. Now, some of you, this is so foreign to you, you don't have a clue. But we grew up where if you went to a movie, you were sinning by going to a movie. It didn't matter that I, the very first movie I ever went to the, the, when I was a kid was Bambi. According to that theology, if Jesus came back while I was in Bambi, I was splitting hell wide open. Right? I, I believe in eternal security. I just don't believe it's unconditional. What's the condition? One thing. Your heart. Who are you? Do you love Jesus? Do you not? Are you chasing after him? Are you not? Are you pursuing him? Are you not? Verse 28 of 1 John chapter 2. And now, and now, dear children, remain in fellowship with Christ so that when he returns, you will be full of courage and not shrink back from him in shame. I love the way John says this. John and James do a good job with this that the other writers don't do. And I love the way that John says this. He says, if you're serving Jesus, you're remaining faithful, if your heart is after him, when he comes back, let me, let me kind of verbalize a little different. When he comes back, you won't be embarrassed by your life. You won't be embarrassed by what you're doing. Right? My, my middle son was talking about my granddaughter this last week, and he said, you can tell when she's starting to do something she shouldn't do. She gets a look on her face. I said, really? So you're saying parents can see in the face of their children when their children are not being honest. Parents, little input here. I told him, Isaac, you're 24 years old. I can still tell when you're messing with me. What? You can see he, revelation. He got it all. He... I, Parents will always know when you're not being honest with them. You think you're good at it. But you're not. And here's something else. It works pretty good with spouses too, doesn't it? Why did it get quiet? <laughs> right? Jesus is basically saying through John here, if you're, if you're passionate about me, when I arrive, everyone will know it. You won't be embarrassed because you've been chasing after me. You're excited about me. You're trying to serve me. You want to be close to me. But if you're not, you're hiding things, you're sinning, you're doing all this other stuff. When he steps into the garden, you're going to go hide in the bushes. That's what he's saying. What do we need to stop or change about this year? Mark chapter 8, verse 38. If anyone's ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days. I, I remember reading that as a kid and hearing pastors preach about adulterous and sinful days. I had no idea. I could not have guessed we would get to the place we are as a country. I would never have thought possible, which kind of scares me. Where are we going to be 10 years from now? Because this thing is moving much quicker. Day by day by day, it's moving quicker and quicker and quicker toward, toward hell. The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You understand, I know you know this, I say this, I harp on this all the time. The only hope the people around you have is Jesus. 
don't be ashamed of that. Don't be embarrassed by it. Don't let the world convince you that, that, um, that, that you're by yourself. I just saw Star Wars yesterday. I, I don't want to ruin it for you if you haven't seen it. You're not alone. You're not alone. Go see the movie. So we're not. We have the Holy Spirit. If nobody else is on our side, we have the Holy Spirit. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And so don't be ashamed of this. The only hope that people around you have is Jesus. It's the truth of Jesus. It's the reality of forgiveness and grace and mercy. It's the only hope they have, and you know about it. You've got the answer. Don't be ashamed of this. Don't be shy. Don't be embarrassed. Don't, don't be worried about people accusing you of all kinds of things. Just love Jesus and love them with him. Love them toward Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. And more and more, it's going to take that. It's going to take us suffering for the sake of the good news. Why don't you stand with me? So we're going we're gonna to pray, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm hoping that while we're praying, I know the Holy Spirit wants to do this. It's just going to, you've got you to gotta be open to it, you've got to be receptive to it, Okay. The Holy Spirit wants to show you some things that need to change, need to be different, need to stop, need to start, whatever. It's, this is all very individualistic in this room right here. But you just got to listen. What is the Holy Spirit telling you? What is he trying to tell you right now? What is the Holy Spirit saying needs to be different? What do you need to stop right now? Most of us in here, we know. We know what we need to stop. We don't have to be convinced. We don't have to dig in investigatively. We, we know the Holy Spirit tells us all the time. What do we need to start? You know, there may be some nuances that you need to listen to the Holy Spirit, but the big ones we already know right now. Just make the decision. God, this is, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to learn from this last year. I'm going to take these moments and I'm going to digest them. And I'm going to be different because of my decision to serve you. We can do that. God, we, we submit ourselves to you right now. We submit our life, our spirit, our minds our heart, where we go, what we do, our priorities. Lord, and I pray for me, I pray for everyone who is here. We want the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart. Deep within our spirit, our heart, we want that to be pleasing to you. Regardless of who else it's pleasing to you, Lord, we want it to be pleasing to you. So Lord, I pray right now that you convict us. Holy Spirit, every one of us in this room, Convict us of the stuff that needs to be different. Convict us. And Lord, we respond by repenting. Asking you to forgive us, wash us clean. Forgive us and help us to turn to you. In Jesus' name. Help us to turn to you. Lord, I want my thoughts to be pleasing to you. I want what I watch and what I listen to to be pleasing to you. I want my life to be pleasing to you. Jesus. So Lord, show us right now, everyone in this room, show us the stuff that we need to stop. Show us. Show us the stuff we need to start. Jesus.
Lord, help us to learn and to move forward in you, not to just stay where we are. Help us to move forward. to uh, leave this with you. I, I would suggest before you leave here this morning, or maybe as soon as you get in your car, before you leave the parking lot, pull out your phone, make a list of the things the Holy Spirit's putting in your heart. If you don't, if you don't put something down with this, by tomorrow morning, half of it's going to be vague. You'll have convinced yourself it's not that big of a deal. You'll have moved on by the middle of next week. Almost, It'll be almost academic what we did here this morning. Make, make some lists. Holy Spirit, if you're saying this to me right now, I'm going to write this down. Do I need to stop this? Do I need to start this? Do I need to change this? Make a list. And part of the reason is because you're more open to, to that honesty with yourself right now than you will be a few hours from now. Okay? I've been doing this a long time. You're going to be more honest with you right now and with the Holy Spirit, what He's trying to put in your heart. Put it down. And here's another one. You want to take it to another level depending on what's on that list. Uh, show it to your spouse. Show if your accountability partner is near, here, within a phone call, text it to them. Say, here's my list. Hold me accountable this week. Hold me accountable this next month. Hold me accountable this year. Here's my list. That, that's, that's maturity. That's the real deal. Just saying, yeah, you and me, God, we're going to be closer this year. Make a list. Get there. Write it down. Be accountable. Begin to put it into prayer action. Begin to put it in physical action. Do something. Do something. Or just be. Take an opportunity. Hold, have somebody hold you accountable. All right? So before noon tomorrow, I was going to give you a chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Tell somebody about Jesus and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here and they might return the comment. We will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.